The world is changing, and so are we. I'm Alex Chadwick. This is The Adapters from Burn, a podcast about the ways people are adjusting to the challenges of energy and climate change. Last summer, Byrne dedicated one of its hour-long specials to The Grid, the enormous and complex system of utility companies, power plants, generating stations, cables, wires, that all funnel electricity down to an outlet on a wall where you live and work. That's when we first met Michelle Nyhaus, a science writer for National Geographic and Smithsonian Magazine, who had lived off the grid in Paonia, Colorado, for 15 years. Michelle's adaptation to the energy challenge was unconventional, and she told us then she didn't usually talk about her life back in rural Colorado because people just didn't get it. I was at a conference at MIT a few years ago on energy, and I was sitting next to one of the presenters, and we were talking about carbon footprints. I don't remember the exact context, but he said something to the effect of, oh, well, people can reduce their personal carbon footprints to a certain extent, but you know, beyond that, you're talking about living in a mud hut off the grid, and, and nobody does that. And and I looked at him and I said, I do. And he didn't run into people like me on a daily basis. Michelle, her husband, and young daughter lived in a house built with straw bales, plastered with mud, and powered by the sun. But just a few months ago, they moved outside Portland, Oregon, to be closer to the human grid and a new teaching job for her husband, and near to his school and friends for the five-year-old daughter, and a quicker trip to the airport for Michelle. So we wanted to follow up and hear how the transition is going in a more traditional life back on the grid. Do you have a favorite device that is in your life now that wasn't before? Well, it's nice not to be swearing at the internet anymore. <laughs> but, oh, don't we, oh, don't give that up. <laughs> we do. We do have much faster service here than we used to. You're in your kitchen right now. I'm in my kitchen. Could you turn around there and say, "Okay, I have this and I didn't have that in Colorado." That, you know, what are the things that make a difference in your life in that kitchen? Let's see. Well, we have a full-size refrigerator. We had in Colorado, we had a dorm-sized refrigerator. We don't fill it up. (laughs) We don't fill up the full-size fridge. So, except, I suppose, it's really nice to have a space for a half gallon of ice cream. (laughs) We didn't have a proper freezer. Um, We have the same kind of stove. We have a gas stove. And um, we have a dishwasher, which we actually have not used yet, because we're so used to doing dishes by hand. (laughs) Though I would guess that we'd probably use less water if we went ahead and used the dishwasher. You know, really, that's about all that's different. We have a little more space here because it just happens to be a bigger house. But our life off the grid was not a life of deprivation. There were some things that were different, but they weren't necessarily harder. We have central heating. It's nice not to have to build a fire every morning, but there are things about that that I miss, too. It's such a way to begin the day, you know. It's a ritual. It is. And it, it kind of wakes you up and makes you feel good. That's true. Yeah, I miss the the ritual of it and the smell of it. Yeah. But like I said, it's certainly convenient, too, not to have to trudge outside in the snow and get a load of wood. Right, to get a a load of wood. And never mind (laughs) also carrying out the ash. I mean, you have to to get rid of that ash uh, every couple of days, certainly. Yeah. What about your daughter? What does she feel about living in this new place, about having lights that come on in every room whenever you 
want them, uh, toilets that flush and <laughs> those kinds of modern conveniences that everyone takes for, for granted because they're all used to it, but yes. not your daughter, I'll bet. She used to explain to her friends when they came over how to use our composting toilet, and I heard her explaining to a friend the other day how to use our flush toilet. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much she realizes that she's gone from a very unusual lifestyle to a more typical lifestyle. She loves having friends close by. That's probably the thing she notices the most. I think she misses seeing some of the animals close by. We used to have lots of deer and turkeys in our yard. I think she misses that. I'm sure she loves having a better internet connection so that she can watch Dora. <laughs> she can stream Dora every once in a while. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but she's adapted really easily, much better than we thought she would. But I think that the things she notices are less about the technology and more about the people. The human grid, you say? Yeah, the human grid. There's something in our the texture of our lives are made enormously convenient by the abundant amount of energy that's always, always available to us. I wonder if you kind of find yourself missing some appreciation for the simplicity, for the conservation principles that you lived by. If those things won't inevitably diminish in some way, mm-hmm. they, because you don't exercise those muscles anymore, you know, or in the, you don't need to exercise them in the same way that you have to if you have to build a fire every morning, for instance. Mm -hmm. That's true. There's definitely a certain elegance to knowing, well, our power comes from the sun. And when we use up the power that's in our batteries, we have to wait for another sunny day. (laughs) And here we don't have that kind of natural check on our use. You know, talk to me in three years or five years, and I'll let you know if I'm using the hairdryer for an hour every day. But so far, I find that we we haven't changed our habits all that much. I mean, after 15 years, they were pretty ingrained. Yeah. And we practice them as a family. So I think those routines are so established that it's sort of easy for us to keep doing them. That may change. But so far, we're, um, we've taken those habits with us. There's a um, an argument that the greenest city in the United States is New York. Yeah, I believe it. I know I know a lot of that depends on exactly how you measure green, but we thought about that a lot living where we did in Colorado because we were aware of how much we drove. You know, I certainly traveled for work and had to drive an hour and a half just to get to the small regional airport where I would fly out of um, to do research for stories. And I hope that we are saving some energy by living closer to people and taking advantage of some of those economies of scale. We don't have public transportation here like we would in a really large city, so there are some savings we can't take advantage of. But I think that there's a real argument to be to be made that when you live at high densities, you can save more energy. Well, you've found a balance, haven't you? I hope so. I hope so. Michelle, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Science writer Michelle Nyhaus. And if you want to see pictures of Michelle and her family in their off-the-grid house in Paonia, Colorado, they're at our website, burnandenergyjournal.com. The Adapters Podcast is a project of Burn from Sound Vision Productions. Support comes from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. I'm Alex Chadwick.